0: Everything is bigger in Texas, including climate change. But luckily, Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world gather to work with titans of industry to build a technology that will reduce emissions and power a low-carbon future.
1: We sit down with those changemakers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with leaders from the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done.
0: I am Nada Ahmed. And this is the Energy Technology Podcast.
1: And I'm Jason Netier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. I'm glad to be here today with my friend Jeremy Pitts. He's the managing director of Activate Houston. Activate is a nonprofit organization which awards the most promising science entre- entrepreneurs into a two-year fellowship um, to help them transform their research and technology into products that can benefit society. Activate Houston's uh, newest cohort is launching in, in 2024, and they're seeking to, to build on the growing innovation ecosystem here in Houston and throughout Texas. Um, they're very focused on the energy transition as well as other areas of high impact. So, um, Jeremy, you're, uh, you're a, a multi-time Houstonian. Uh, tell us about what you're launching here today with uh, Activate Houston. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. I think
2: I'm a, I'm a born-again Houstonian. Is that, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? Yeah. I don't know. Not a native, but this is the second time I've been here now. So if I keep finding my way here, there must be something to it. Um, Yeah. So we're launching Activate in Houston. If if uh, those of you who aren't familiar with with Activate, and I think a lot in Houston are not. um, We're an organization that's been around for about eight years now. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started as Cyclotron Road. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were embedded at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs and Berkeley, obviously. and uh, the whole concept was was trying to kind of pull some of these uh, amazing innovations kind of out of out of the lab um, and commercialize them, very much in line with a lot of the the sort of commercialization focus that the national labs have and, and a lot of the government agencies have. Um, and so they were able to the the founder Alon Gur was able to mm-hmm. sort of tap into that and and uh, get some get some support for this program. So they launched in twenty fifteen um activate spun out as a as a separate entity um cyclotron road still sort of exists and, and at least with activates berkeley location they pretty much are in lockstep um that the fellows tend to be activate fellows and cyclotron road fellows there in berkeley um but but spinning out from being completely embedded at, at the uh, the national lab they're kind of allowed to activate to broaden its reach broaden its mm-hmm. impact a little bit beyond just purely kind of what the uh Department of Energy wanted to focus on um so we expanded to Boston in 2019 Mm -hmm. uh and then we opened locations in New York and our kind of remote first activate anywhere cohort those both launched in 2021 and so we'll be launching here in Houston uh I guess we sort of started laying the groundwork in 2023 with Mm -hmm. our first cohort next year um that'll be the the fifth community for activate
1: good And uh, I know it was a little bit of a topic of discussion of, like, if they're going to expand, why is Houston important on the roadmap? Is that something you can elucidate for us?
2: Yeah, I can give you my opinion on it. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I was hired into the role after that decision was already made. But, uh, um, I I mean, I I think you look around Mm -hmm. it, you know, obviously having a presence in Berkeley and Boston and New York already where do you go next to capture those, those sort of innovators and, and those kind of groundbreaking technologies and, and Houston's at the top of the list, right? When you're thinking about energy transition,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, you know, obviously there's some national debate on, on include or exclude the, the traditional energy companies, but activates very much on the side of like, they need to be a part of the solution. And so that energy transition is, is happening here and, and, you know, happy to dig into into that more, and I expect mm-hmm. we will. But you know, I'm just just sort of a part of the part of the choir, I guess, when it comes to to shouting all the things that Houston has going for it. Um, so, yeah, really, I mean, Houston Houston is is the place to be for sort of the the next logical um, location for being part of that mm-hmm. energy transition. And I think also when you look at Houston, it's got a lot of the things that activate companies need. Um, so sort of my secondary selfish motivation is is potentially convincing some other activate companies to move to houston Mm -hmm. i mean the the best current example of this is is furvo so tim latimer and Mm furvo activate alums um and tim launched that company with jack norbeck in uh in the bay area um and they went through um activate and 2016 Mm -hmm. something like that i forget 2018 2017 one of those years um and uh he moved his company to houston i mean because that's where he needed to be because he was building and he's scaling and obviously he's very specifically looking for kind of oil and gas talent for some of the drilling and things that he's doing um but any of these businesses that are scaling and growing things and have lots of things flowing through pipes and they're welding mm-hmm. things together and all of that, Like as you scale those companies, like Houston's a place to be. Um, so for Activate to kind of have a presence here, I think just makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you're a, a multi-startup veteran. Uh, um, and instead of joining a startup, you decided to, to launch this. What, what really excites you about the role?
2: Yeah, I think, I think about it a lot in terms of, um, in terms of kind of leveraging up my impact or mm-hmm. levering up my impact. So it's it's sort of the VC math, right? Mm-hmm. When when you think about a VC, hey, I'm investing in these 10 companies and I need one to be a big hit and I make my returns. Uh for me it's it's like this role is really exciting because it's that same sort of math, but but you know, I'm not making money off of it. We're a nonprofit, but um but I'm having an impact based on that. And so I get to Go be involved with these ten, and and eventually when we get up to two two concurrent classes, when we're sort of at full speed, twenty kind of roughly twenty fellows here in Houston, um, and I get to be a part of that, and I get to participate and help these companies, and you know I think it's awesome to be close to those technologies, potentially having an impact across all the different things that these fellows will be working on, um, and it's awesome for me because I just am curious and love to learn about different things. And so I get to get exposure to all of these different technologies and things that are going on. So just, just a lot that's exciting to me about the role.
0: Um, and, you know, Jason mentioned you're, you've worked with three different startups. Um, what do you think are kind of your strengths and what you've really learned from working in startups that you bring in into Activate that these companies are going to really be able to benefit from?
2: Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I spent the the bulk of my career now working at a, a single startup. I mm. spent twelve years slogging it out uh, at one startup, um, which is a lot. <laughs>
0: <It> is, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, it's you know painful at times to think about, and mm. you know it wasn't painful at the time, or not always, obviously. Um, but I I think you know going through that experience, that sort of cradle to grave. Like hard tech startup um experience you kind of understand how hard it is mm-hmm. i mean we're we're looking at these fellows who are starting hard things mm-hmm. like that's that's why we exist is to support people who are starting hard things, mm-hmm. and there are so many challenges over over the years that you go through doing that and so I think just having been through that again, one sort of full cradle-to-grave 12-year experience and then a couple other stints like working for other startups, um, just a huge number of lessons learned that it's really hard to get other than the been there, done that experience. Mm. Um, and, and I just hope to be able to, to turn that and translate that in, into helping the fellows. And, and that's, that's very much part of the Activate model. So my role, the, mm. the managing director role, so I, I have a peer – at each of the different communities who, who has that managing director role. And our, our jobs, you know, above all else, are to support the fellows. And, and it's very much like a, a requirement of the job to have been through startups yourself. Because mm. there's just really no way to, to support somebody and mm-hmm. be able to empathize and be able to help them and be able to, you know, hopefully steer them away from some of the mistakes that, that you've made without having that kind of direct startup experience.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because I mean explain to us a little bit wh- what you mean by fellows? Who's a fellow?
2: Yeah, the, so so we we call the participants in our program fellows. So so activate is a is a fellowship. So it
0: doesn't have to be like a PhD Per se, uh, they background? just have to be jolly mm. good.
2: No, no. Uh, but, but they're usually
1: like researchers.
0: Researchers. Right? So we're, yeah.
2: we're looking, we're looking mm. for scientists, yeah. uh, technologists. Uh, so it's typical that they have a PhD. I would say our our sort of most common, um, our most common applicant is someone coming out of a PhD program or a postdoc. Often, you know, they have been working on something in the mm. lab, invented something, had some breakthrough, and they're like, hey, this could be, you know, there could be something behind this, but they don't really know what to do with that. And mm. maybe they're in the early stages of actually starting a company and mm-hmm. negotiating licensing deals with the university, what whatever they're doing. Um, and, and that's that's where we can really help and support them a lot. But that's not a requirement. Mm. Um our only requirement is you can't be coming straight out of undergrad. You have to be at least mm. four years of experience post undergrad, working on science, technology research. Um, so again, oftentimes that comes in the form of a PhD and we obviously do take people straight out of a PhD program. Um, but it can be career experience to mm. industry mm-hmm. experience. Um, and, and actually I think that's something interesting about Houston, uh, I think that the houston ecosystem mm-hmm. in general has a lot more mid-career um entrepreneurs mm-hmm. I, I i don't i don't haven't haven't seen any data or anything to to specifically state that but just sort of anecdotally that's what i see a lot of mm-hmm. and obviously a lot of this is you know guys starting their own oil field services company and and things like that but I think that there are a lot of mid-career people in Houston, maybe people who are working for energy companies. There's a lot mm-hmm. of PhDs hidden away mm-hmm. kind of in these big office buildings at these different companies mm-hmm. um, who probably have a lot of ideas and maybe some of them are, are you know, looking to sort of do a little bit more energy transition stuff mm-hmm. than traditional mm-hmm. energy stuff. And, and, and we are happy to take and support those people. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like we don't see Houston as like a startup hub, but you don't realize we still have a lot of entrepreneurs oh, yeah. um like oil field services suppliers to the industries, people who just get out there and start a business without having a PhD mm-hmm. per se. Um and and these people need support, right? They need um the kind of structure and the skills that you you provide.
2: Yeah, so I mean a lot a lot of those are you know, not mm. technology businesses, which mm-hmm. obviously aren't. That's not what we're looking to support. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, when you're mid-career, when mm-hmm. you're, you know, my age, and you have kids and mortgage payments mm-hmm. and all these other things that you're worrying about, mm-hmm. it's really hard to start a startup.
0: Yeah, and to, so to go from a yeah a, so,
2: a job and a career to nothing, and and so mm. we come in. I I, mm. I didn't didn't talk about this in the start, but but Activate it's a two-year program. We provide a stipend for two years. So on the order of a hundred thousand dollars a year. So we, we pay your salary mm-hmm. basically for two years, another hundred thousand dollars in R and D funding roughly. Um, and then there's, you know, professional development funds and travel funds, you know, we'll pay for you to go to conferences and do things like that. And, and then all the sort of more traditional kind of things you would expect from accelerator type Things were lots of lots of educational programming, learning, you know, mm. learning what a cap table is and mm-hmm. learning how to do a pitch deck and all this kind of stuff and access to our network, all all these other things that you get. Um, mm. But, you know, specifically yeah. the the salary part when you're yeah. looking at.
0: And I, I do think there's definitely a gap there because, you know, people yeah. fresh out of college can go to all these other programs. But what about you when you are mid-career and you have some experience, and then you're like, okay, I want to pivot or I want to start my own company. I have this idea, but I have two kids, mm-hmm. um, and then you're able to provide them that safety net. Yeah, um, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really curious to mm-hmm. to see in in our applicants and kind of kind of as our class comes together how how much of that we get and and if. Again, this yeah. is just sort of a, mm. a hy- hypothesis I have that, that there might be a little bit more of that kind of mid-career mm. um, profile that we, that we get in Houston than, than maybe we have on our other sites. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, mm. As, ask me again mm. in June. I'll tell you if I was right on that one.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely ran into a lot of entrepreneurs who, uh, entrepreneurs we're gonna call them, who were in industry. They were definitely developing a technology and they found that their business didn't necessarily wanna take that technology further and so they were looking for ways to construct a spin out but they were there were technologists they weren't necessarily business people i'm not sure activate solves the problem of technology might be locked in inside a traditional energy company but there's still that kind of expertise that that someone wants to figure out how to make something into the world um i I remember this one founder or wannabe founder like had this technology that was going to go into an ammonia factory and it was going to take them it was like oh i want to put this in a 100 million dollar refinery system I was like, hold your horses! <laughs> like, I don't think <laughs> I can help you with this because you have to you have to start somewhere. But there was definitely that that need. They had that same urge that I think a lot of founders have of this has to happen, hmm. and I just don't know how to how to how to I don't see the pathway, and so I don't know where to go from here. And so I, I, that was one an- anecdote out of the maybe the hundreds <laughs> or so we I saw last year. But I, I think there's that definite sense that um, you know there, there's technology kind of locked up behind, and a lot of times as, as we've hmm. talked about before, it's showing people there is a path oftentimes unlocks for them mm. that, you know, it turns that switch on that they can do it too. Right.
2: Yeah. We, we, I would say organizationally activate is pretty knowledgeable and pretty good about helping to, to negotiate license deals mm. with technology transfer offices at mm. universities and research institutions. I'm not <laughs> aware of having to ever do that with the, uh, with a corporation. Uh, so that, that could be interesting. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure if that's really something that would uh that would turn out well but uh
1: <laughs> that's a new skill set <laughs> yeah we'll see yeah it's it's funny how and much sometimes twist. especially with like the some of the bigger energy companies you set it up as a win-win like they'll, they'll be on board if they can see that path and um uh, we'll see what 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 skills get gets developed here um but one of the things i want to go back to is i think part of the reason why all these benefits and uh Get kind of thrown on the on, on uh, the entrepreneurs is because the metrics are fantastic mm. at activate um and when i saw them i was blown away and, and, and the main metrics of success i think is follow-on capital um mm. but how do you how do you guys measure success internally
2: yeah that's an interesting question uh we're a little bit squishy on the way we think about this so mm. so activate because we're a nonprofit, mm-hmm. because we don't take equity, we don't charge fees, we don't make any money off of these fellows, um, which gives us a really unique opportunity to to focus on fellows first mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. the businesses. Um, so we accept fellows into the mm-hmm. program. We don't accept businesses. Mm-hmm. We don't accept companies. Mm-hmm. It's fellows. Mm-hmm. So it's a person that gets in. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes or, or sometimes, maybe a, a quarter to a third Come in with sort of a co-founder, um, but so so our our success uh, is is based on really the fellows doing well, mm-hmm. and sometimes that doesn't always line up with both business success with mm-hmm. commercial success. We we hope that it does, um, you know, because externally we're going to be judged by creating big impactful businesses. Um, but that's not how we measure success and, and the way we really, really internally measure success. Like we, we track, I mean, we track how happy the fellows are, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. kind of mm. net promoter score kind of stuff even, right? Like mm. we're asking them, how, how are, are you happy with the program? Are you happy with this? Like, is this adding value to you? Like, so, so mm. our success is, is really the fellows happiness. Um, that said, we obviously track these metrics like follow on funding. I mean, that's, that's a great. In some ways, funding—I think anybody in the startup ecosystem knows—some of that's a little bit of a vanity metric, mm-hmm. but it's still directionally correct, I think. Um, and I'm—I I'm, didn't look these up beforehand, so I'm remembering off the top of my head, but I think our number is 188 fellows that we've supported, um, which represents 145 companies. So again, some some mm-hmm. dual fellows for companies. I think it's, it's close to 1.4 billion in follow-on funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other number that i think is interesting is i, I think it's something like a 20x uh leverage mm. on the, the dollars we put in and so that you know when you're thinking about our supporters right the the government agencies that, that fund us the philanthropy that funds us if you're getting 20 yeah. times your dollar that you put in like that that's what these types of funders like to see um so it has been quite successful for us so far yeah
1: I mean, that's what i was talking about mm-hmm. with the metrics like if you think about if, if this was a proxy for a venture fund which it's not but if you're say dollars into dollars mm-hmm. out like that's that that's a very envious mm. venture fund right in, in terms of the the follow-on and, and the return um so i think that's that's one of the metrics that stands out but i think also you said 140 companies um and and having uh, was it 1.6 billion
2: and, one point four. I think yeah. just shy of one point four and,
1: and just by contrast to you know Greentown that you're involved in, I think they're at like five hundred companies and are at three billion. So just the the focus of impact is, is so focused on those fellows. Mm-hmm. And you can see that outcome by these vanity metrics. And and we all look at them and say, mm-hmm. you know, not every company needs to be a big, big returning company or or, or a, you know, a unicorn, but it shows you that this approach translates to impact in just by removing barriers Mm -hmm. essentially from the founders and letting letting the fellows really take off yeah absolutely um and and
2: i'm just forming a a new a new thesis in my head as we're talking about Mm this uh the types of companies that we're supporting probably have to raise more money frankly right because we're we're looking for companies that are going to have global impact and so it's companies that need to to in order to do things at a scale that's going to have global impact it costs a lot of money so you know obviously not to yeah. go down this first of a kind funding and all yep. that stuff that's <laughs> talked about a lot but
0: mm.
2: uh but so you know it's not surprising to see big dollar raises mm. happening with with some of our mm. successful companies because they need it yeah mm. i mean Fervo, right oh, yeah. keep beating the furvo mm. drum here because they're the the one the mm. one activate alum that people know of in houston yeah um you know mm. they've raised what close to $200 million yeah. now and, and they have to yeah. Yeah. building 400 megawatt plant like it's impressive stuff that they're doing it costs yeah. a lot of money
1: yeah yeah but that's a nice proxy for you know if it wasn't valuable people wouldn't buy it and 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 that's really the the goal and sure the reality is there's no such yeah. thing as a small energy company like they yeah. have to be big to make that kind of global impact so mm-hmm. it, it's I think it's also a fair metric, even mm. though it feels like a vanity mm. metric. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah, and I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that global impact, like our audience who's listening and might want to apply to Activate Program. What are some of the criteria that you use? To, you know, yeah, how, yeah,
2: yeah. We honestly we cast a very very wide net, mm-hmm. um, and and so we're looking for. So so there's a couple like hard application criteria like being four years removed from undergrad like we talked about (laughs) earlier uh being a first-time founder we're not looking to support serial founders um i feel like there are one or two like that that i'm Mm -hmm. forgetting but um but when you look at at the areas uh that we support it's it's a lot um you know we're we're looking for hard tech we're looking Mm -hmm. generally people are building something they have a physical something whether they're uh you know it doesn't have to be a mechanical physical Mm. electromechanical thing you know a lot of biologics and things like that um that i don't really understand yet but i hope to learn um um but so we we talk about 16 verticals Mm. uh that we will consider Mm. um and and i couldn't list them (laughs) off the top of my head Mm. feel free to check out our website activate.org but Mm. uh it covers just about everything, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not supporting software companies, software as a service, mm-hmm. you know, Uber for dog walking, that kind of stuff is not <laughs> interesting for us, but mm-hmm. but we really think about it in terms of impact, right? Mm-hmm. So we're looking for companies that are solving big global challenges. Um, so a lot of that ends up being generally in the sort of climate, sustainability, energy transition space, mm-hmm. um, just because that's a big global challenge, mm. probably at the top of the list, mm. frankly. Uh, but that's not only that's we won't exclusively look at that. Mm. I, I think something like 70 or 80 percent of our companies again fit into that very, very broad sustainability bucket. Um, but we'll look at life sciences companies. I actually think that's something in Houston that mm. we might get a little bit more of just because life sciences, you know, it's a Texas Medical Center, it's so mm-hmm. huge here in Houston. Um Within life sciences, it's a little tricky because where we add the most value for a life sciences company or, or the type of life sciences company that we can add the most value to, it's, it's the non-traditional companies. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's mm-hmm. developing a new drug, that, that's mm-hmm. not for us, mm-hmm. right? There's kind of a known development pathway, mm-hmm. known steps, FDA approval, mm-hmm. NIH funding, whatever. Um, that's not for us. The, the things that are interesting to us are platform technologies, um, so you know, there might be a company that's got sort of some biologics innovation. Again, I don't really know what mm. that means. I'm a <laughs> lowly mechanical engineer but mm. figuring this stuff out. Um, but but maybe something that that can apply to human health but mm. also has applications in agriculture, mm. which is big in sustainability. Mm. Um, we have probably the closest thing we have right now to a pharmaceutical company is is a company um. That's developed a new um, a new therapy for heavy metal poisoning, mm. um, which is interesting because I mean, one, you know, it's not like a clear go get NIH funding kind of thing because like they're getting like DOD funding and DOE mm-hmm. funding and like all kinds of different acronyms. Uh, um. But you think about all the like heavy metals that need to to mm. be mined, um, and mm. those are often toxic and bad for people, and like being able to treat those is a big deal mm. um, and it also they've got they've got applications in sort of uh, radiation poisoning mm. Mm. so you know if if nuclear takes off as as a you know part of the energy equation, mm. like having some comfort in being able to treat that, and you know the the government mm. maintains a stockpile of treatment for Hmm. that stuff which by the way is a really interesting funding mechanism (laughs) for a company working in that space um so so that's the sort of non-traditional piece i'm talking about where there's different avenues Hmm. and and that's where you know we're sort of working outside the box looking at these different applications and thinking broadly about these things versus like here are the steps i need to take to get into clinical trials um we're also, you know, I think we've got a couple quantum computing companies, mm-hmm. some some other things like that, which, you know, probably mm-hmm. have some. You can draw those lines to sort of connect that to sustainability, oftentimes in terms of energy efficiency and, you know, computing power for weather modeling and all these different mm-hmm. things too. Um, yeah, so
1: it's 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 a pretty broad net that we cast, I would say. Mm-hmm uh i guess how are you finding fellows are you
2: are you
0: going
1: to race and knocking <laughs>
0: in the yeah i' yeah.
2: been knocking on a lot of doors the last few months <laughs> yeah um yeah so just just to give a little timeline so mm-hmm. so i I st- i started this role at the start of august um and uh our application window we we operate on kind of an annual cadence um all of our locations go with the same cadence we accept fellows once a year we have a class you mm-hmm. know um get in and and you know it's a it's a two-year program. So once we're up and running, we'll have sort of two concurrent classes. Um, and so our application window started in mid-September and ran through the end of October. Mm-hmm. So it just closed. Sorry mm-hmm. if you're looking to apply, you'll have to wait till next year. But I'd love to see your application next year. Um but so in in launching in a in a new site, yeah, it's you know, we don't have the brand recognition that we do in Berkeley or Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was you know, not physically, I'm trying to think if I physically knocked on any doors, maybe not, but I, you know, uh, figuratively knocked on a lot of doors, just a mm. lot of outreach We we had sort of a an advanced team, if you will, our mm. expansions team that did, did a fair bit of work over the last six months laying some of the groundwork. Uh, making some of the connections letting people know is that like going to
0: universities a lot of Mm. primarily
2: that's where i Mm. focus for this time just because i'm i'm one guy i Mm. am activate houston right now Mm. um so was just as much as i would love to tap more into the mid-career stuff and all Mm. of that um the universities is kind of the easier path and Mm. so you know getting getting people at all the all Mm. the local universities to spam Mm. their entrepreneur mailing lists or or whatever they happen to have and then you know we went and did events and little information sessions at all all the places and and we're casting sort of geographically we're happy to cast a wide net as Mm. well um so it's not just rice um it's not just rice and uh so we mm. went to Texas AM and mm. UT, um, and and you know, I didn't do as much because I think these these ecosystems are a little bit less mature right now. But mm. Prairie View and Texas uh, Southern mm. are are like really interesting institutions for us too that we would love mm. to tap into. Um and mm. then even getting outside of the, you know, greater Houston Austin area, UT Dallas and SMU and Texas Tech and Baylor mm. and UTEP and all these all these places. So started putting some feelers out even you know lsu and mm. you know gulf coast stuff like you know i think houston already is sort of the the mm. hub for all these places kind of when it comes to energy and so we would love to sort of have that wide of a geographic reach as well for activate find find the best and the brightest from from wherever
1: yeah mm. um let's talk a little bit about i guess houston and in and, and the past so you've you obviously been um in and around the innovation ecosystem. What do you think is going to be easier for for startups going forward, you know, versus a decade ago when we were all young?
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. So so when I was running a, an energy startup in Houston a decade ago, there was nothing right. We kind of worked in our bubble and we did our thing and and that was it. And, you know, it admittedly, some some of the, the corporate venture existed. I mean, we had the company i was was running we had chevron and equinor on Mm -hmm. our cap table um so those guys were great and great partners and helped us pilot and do all these things that you hope to see um but there was certainly no climate tech summit Mm -hmm. (laughs) there was none of none of these things there was no greentown there was no ion um so you know in a lot of ways i feel like there's a lot of tailwind, I think, for for people starting companies now in Houston. Um, I know we've we've talked a lot. We kind of Houston as an ecosystem. I feel like there's been a lot of talk about some of the gaps, some of the early stage funding gaps, maybe. And um, I know Taylor and Deanna and mm-hmm. Gabe just published that really interesting report yep. that talks a lot about a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, Houston's got a chip on its shoulder. Mm -hmm. We don't get enough respect for climate, all, all this kind of stuff, but, but there's so much more than there was like there's been, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think this is one of their questions in their report, I think, right. Mm -hmm. Is, is the ecosystem better Mm -hmm. now than it was five years ago? And Mm -hmm. I think it was a resounding yes, because Mm -hmm. the ion is there now. Greentown is there now. Investors occasionally show up in Houston. Now, Mm -hmm. right. The, the HX venture fund conference, Mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago like mm-hmm. there was an impressive list of people that like flew in mm-hmm. to come to that conference now i imagine a lot of them were because hx was one of their lps and they said you have to come to this conference but i think mm. by and large they're still interested in meeting some of the houston companies and um so we're, we're starting to see more of that mm-hmm. um and there, there's an ecosystem around it, and it's just the, the, the snowball effect, right? It's starting to mm. to grow, and I think it's great.
1: Yeah, and activate's coming.
2: So, activate's coming. The, the snowball <laughs> keeps getting bigger. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and and I think I think uh, I think we fill an interesting gap in yeah. the ecosystem. This this idea of the the early fate the early stage funding. I at that at that uh, HX Venture Fund conference, I forget who said it um if it was it it might have been tim actually Mm -hmm. tim latimer it was it was it was it was one of our one of our kind of all-star entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. whether it was tim or trevor best or moji or one of these guys uh said houston is a great place to scale a company it's not yet a great place to start a company Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. goes back to this is the early stage capital here Uh, we're seeing a few funds Mm -hmm. there's a little bit but not a ton um so that's a, that's a gap that hopefully Activate can fill. Mm. Right, so we can find those most promising, really early mm. stage, really impactful technologies and and support them. Um, admittedly, our reach is not that massive, or our 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 breadth, maybe is a better words. Mm-hmm. We mm. we can only support ten fellows a year. Yeah. Mm. Um, but what I hope to see is that while we kind of help build the ecosystem by Mm. directly supporting those 10, I hope we can indirectly support a lot more because Mm. we start showing that there are quality companies being started Mm -hmm. in Houston and that does get the investors to come Mm. to Houston and we get, you know, we pile on top Mm. of Greentown, the events Mm. Greentown is doing and and other things like that. And you get, you know, more and more of this Mm. sort of access to capital and different things happening just because that ecosystem starts maturing. And so even for those companies, we can't directly support, hopefully, the, by, by helping to grow the ecosystem and maybe growing the the access to early stage capital, I, I hope we have a bigger impact and we help fill that gap.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your vision for Activate in Houston, you know, 10 years down the line?
2: Uh, I mean, just just kind of coming fully up to speed and doing mm-hmm. the things that it's already mm-hmm. doing in, in Berkeley and, and Boston, um, just being, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. finding some really successful, mm-hmm. really impactful. I mean, going going all the way to 10 years, I hope that we have some some really, really successful alumni. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so obviously we want to keep finding mm-hmm. and pr- promoting and encouraging these early stage founders, but you know, we our alumni network is is very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh the alumni, they're still on our Still mm-hmm. on our Slack channels, there still are. Mm-hmm. Somebody posts a question on Slack about, you know, have you, mm-hmm. has anybody been through this? And you see half a dozen alumni chime mm-hmm. in and and help and give thoughts and make connections and stuff. Um, but you know, you hope it's, to see more and more yeah. of those companies actually start hitting that scale and mm-hmm. and start yeah. you know commercializing and.
0: Yeah. Because you said you're starting with ten fellows a year um, in a cohort, is that going to increase? Will you have more cohorts with time?
2: No, w- the the number of fellows mm. per year won't mm-hmm. won't increase. Uh, I think we've we've found that that sort of ten fellows mm. per per location per year is about as much as mm. you can sort of handle with the model that we have. You know, where it's a single managing director that's kind of supporting and mentoring mm. that and kind of a you know small local staff that helps kind of operationally support that. Um yeah, so so as mm. as as Activate scales, it's it's adding new communities is how Activate mm. is scaling. Forming
0: these partnerships and
2: well and we'll yeah. we'll move we'll mm. open in new locations. New locations as okay. as well. Mm. So
1: Dallas could get one if
0: they, mm. they?
2: There Probably
0: not. <laughs> not not yeah, nothing against Dallas, Dallas but
2: it's a little close to Houston. Yeah.
1: Isn't it? It's, it's, it's still like three hours away mm. by East Coast standards. It's like three states. Yeah, that's true. Texas is a big state. Yeah, yeah I know.
2: I think you'll see there's there's a whole lot of country that's not covered by Activate currently. Sure. Yeah. And, sure. and, and our, yeah. our Activate Anywhere is, is by far our most popular mm. in terms of application numbers because mm. there are a lot of people that don't live in Berkeley, Boston, mm. New York, mm. or, or now Houston that mm. still want access to a program like this Mm -hmm. um so you see you know we have three well i think one just moved but we had three fellows from madison wisconsin like there's there's stuff going on in Madison,
1: right? Like so there is a little nexus down there. there yeah, the, they're all climate people. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, there's there's good stuff going yeah. on, and so you know, maybe we have a location in the Midwest. Maybe we yeah. have a location in the Rocky Mountain region. Maybe mm-hmm. we have a location in mm-hmm. other places. I I don't know. I can't okay. speak to that, but but that that's where we would see our sort of growth. Yeah,
1: it's like you're gonna. It, if they move out of out as the u.s but like calgary is such a big energy hub up there it's funny how many stars we see coming back and forth between mm, houston and calgary true. it's like mm. that would be my natural if you think about it, an energy hub um, yeah
2: hard, harder to do when you're you yeah. primarily government funded. u.s government funded so but, but I, I don't know yeah. call the canadian government and see if they want to <laughs> launch activate canada
1: i don't know Well, surprise, well as a tangent uh there's a lot of grant funding for the startups in Calgary, which is I think why we see so many technologies being built there. And mm. then they realize the state of Alberta is like, I think as a province is smaller than Houston, so they <laughs> they end up coming down here.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, like in terms yeah. of population. In, population. in
1: population, yeah, not in terms mm. of size. Um, and and the industries here, mm. and it's, it's mm. a lot of good technologies keep coming from out of there. Anyhow, um, but when you think about um we, we talked about the Houston innovation ecosystem. Are there any like hidden gems that you discovered recently that people really need to know about? Because everyone already knows about Green and Ion at this point. I hope. Oh geez, that's a good question. <laughs> this, How, and this doesn't yeah. have to be like innovation focused. Could be
0: a good restaurant. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, we talked yeah.
1: about a, a ranch at one point <laughs> on the show. A ranch. Oh yeah. Oh wow.
0: Or like a park, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I I'm not I'm not sure that any bubbles to the top of mind just now. Uh, can I have fairly have elementary age kids? So my <laughs> what's life, your favorite
0: thing to do in Houston with them with the
2: kids? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm generally just getting dragged around from one activity to the next. So uh, it's soccer season right yeah. now. So been spending uh, a lot of time at the soccer fields, Spring Branch Memorial Sports Association. Mm. Great program. Yeah. So. Mm.
0: Yeah, we don't realize what a big soccer uh, community there is in Houston. I, I yeah.
2: honestly don't know. I just know yeah. in this one SBMSA program, they probably have—I don't know—it's—it's it's hundreds of mm. kids per age group. I—I I don't know. I think in my my younger daughter's like U eight age group, there's probably—I don't know—twenty teams, mm. something like that, times however many, 10 plus, 10, 12 kids per team. I mean, it's, it's a lot of kids That's in this program. Yeah. Just kind of in that like spring branch, mm-hmm. sort of west, mm-hmm. west side yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in gym, really yeah. competitive um, soccer. Yeah, yeah the soccer field, <laughs> yeah. Is nice, so, yeah. nice yeah. facilities though. Like, yeah. Get to play under the lights, especially with the time yeah. change. We were oh there for a As long as you're not playing in the game. summer, it's, it's nice. <clears throat> this yeah. summer was bad. Yeah, we started up in September, it was pretty brutal. I
1: I gotta ask just because I'm curious, what did you guys
2: do for Halloween? <laughs> uh just standard trick-or-treating around the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, nothing nothing special.
1: No family outfit?
2: No. I'm I'm the worst at <laughs> I'm bad at Halloween. I never even when I was a kid, I was bad at dressing. I, I grew it was always cold when when I was growing yeah. up, I feel like. And so it was like not even worth trying to do a costume because you always just had a parka on. Mm. And I'm I'm like a kid of the 80s and 90s, and so it was like the the starter jacket era where you always had like the sports team jacket. So mm-hmm. that was my, I was always a, a well, I guess nobody cares now because it's not offensive here, but I was always a Denver Broncos fan because mm. uh, I grew up in that part of the country. So I would just wear my Broncos coat and my Broncos hat and everything and just go trick or treat and yeah. through yeah. the blizzard.
1: They're just happy. Get, did, get you the guys, candy. did you guys do anything?
0: Yeah, we did. You know, we just went around the neighborhood. I didn't, yeah, I didn't dress up, but yeah, um, but my kids did. And yeah, it was yeah. fun.
1: So my neighborhood doesn't do trick-or-treating because like they're all old people. But we have this like two kids, family show up and they showed up with an app. I was like, oh, these houses are all doing the trick-or-treating.
2: Oh, is that on and next did-
1: door? I guess. I don't know. I was amazed with like the technology. They were, they were yeah. harvesting all the 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 places to hit up for, for mm-hmm. the candy. And I guess uh, because we have so few visitors, we put out the like full size bars, and they knew what they were getting. Mm. Like, they were like, "This is the one house that does it." Did they oh. like? Was it like Waze style where I they guess. could report back yeah. to the app like this house has yes, full size candy guess, bars? And- they were yeah. like, "We know that you guys do good candy." I was like, "How do you know? We didn't post anything." Get good this Magic house. Technology. Yeah. yeah, I
2: I didn't know what to expect when I was giving out candy, and so I bought a lot. Mm. Uh, and and my wife was traveling, unfortunately, so I was out with the kids trick-or-treating and I just left the bowl out. Mm. And for those like earlier hours of trick-or-treating when it's the younger kids, I think they're all mm-hmm. really good. Cause they're with their parents and they take one piece. And so we got back and like, it was like, felt like it was barely touched. And so then I left it out later and you know, I would peek out the window and you'd see like a couple older kids, teenagers, whatever show up. And they just like <laughs> scoop out the candy. Uh, and, and I was like, both like very upset by this. Cause I'm like, that's not fair that they're like taking all the candy. Then I was like, I have all this candy that I do not <laughs> want in my house. So Please I was like upset, but I was also happy. It was, it was very, very conflicting <laughs> emotions. Yeah, I kept yeah. refilling the bowl and more teenagers would show up and steal all my candy. And I was like, oh, I'm so mad at you, but thank you. <laughs> more candy out.
0: Gotta get rid of this it was, candy. It was, it was
2: a strange night, yeah. yeah. Yeah, real wow. roller coaster of emotions for me.
0: But
1: mm. moral of the story. Houston is good for families. That's where it's, we're going with this. It, it, <laughs> oh, there bad. were there were
2: so many kids on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where we were. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really nice, and the weather was it was. I, I it really got cold didn't, for two days. Yeah, just but for it was, Halloween. It was perfect, yeah. right? Like mm. Halloween night mm. was perfect. I really didn't want to sweat on Halloween. Mm. You know, like it's like mm. that's that's the worst.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I'd rather a blizzard than sweating for Halloween.
0: Yeah, so we like to ask everyone if they have a personal climate impact story or like what motivates you. You know, why do you care?
2: Yeah, uh, interesting question, and I probably don't have a great one. Um, I I was I, I spoke on a panel of this little when I was in recruiting mode. I was up in Austin and and they had this little uh, student club energy conference thing, and I spoke on a little panel, and one of the panelists. Uh, in like our pre meeting, brought up this really question that I thought was really interesting, which was, and and this was energy, not just startup climate stuff, but it was did energy find you, or did you find energy? Mm. And mm. and I think kind of turning that to did did sort of climate impact stuff find you, or did 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 you find it? And I think I think for me, it kind of found me. Mm. Um, you know, so I I straight out of undergrad started working in aerospace big company stuff did that for a year didn't like it uh and then just sort of had a buddy working for a solar startup Mm -hmm. um and he said hey we need some good people and so i i just kind of stumbled fell into that um and that was kind of just the first of a series of like Just opportunistic things, something came along and I just jumped on it. And, Mm. but you know, you start doing that and you're like, hey, this, this feels good. Like Mm. I I remember being, this is in California, in Pasadena. And I remember like going down the, walking down the street at lunchtime or something. And there'd be these like Greenpeace people out there. And and they're like, oh, do you have a minute for the environment? You know, because they want to give you their pitch and ask you for money and get you on their mailing list or I don't know, whatever whatever they do. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm actually spending 40 hours a week on the environment, actually. Like, <laughs> I take but that. thanks for asking. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure I have a bigger chance for having impact than than you do. Uh but so I I don't know, it just It makes you feel a lot better about yourself when you wake up and you're, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. make energy more accessible and and Mm -hmm. cleaner than when you're, you know, in my case, building (laughs) weapons systems, (laughs) Uh, just the targeting part and the actual weapon, just the, just the, the, the optics. Um, and then, yeah, I went went back to grad school and after grad school kind of stumbled into something that was more in traditional energy but but still had a, a an interesting kind of you know emissions reduction angle that that we sort of played up and took and that and just has been kind of a series of like finding my way into that and and you know after doing that a couple of times it's like hey I, I like this. I want mm. to focus on this and I think in, in my personal life I try to be more cognizant of that. I, I call myself a closet environmentalist. I, I don't won't ever like Get in front of anybody with with uh, with my opinions on these things, but you know, when I had to replace my air conditioner at my last house, I put in a heat pump because why wouldn't you? Like, it's just a little bit more, and it's a lot better.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So, so Jeremy's at the disadvantage. That I know a lot about him. Uh, so, yeah. you yeah. you also like went off meat recently, right? Was that climate related at all?
2: Uh, when I started, it was like eighty percent health and twenty percent climate, and now i'm not as good about it but it's probably 20% health and 80% climate yeah. Mm-hmm. um I, yeah and i i definitely avoid beef mm-hmm. cuz beef is is the worst yeah. from a climate perspective if yeah. you look it up um but yeah i i, I barely hardly eat meat anymore yeah. um, mostly for that um but again it's it's like a i'm not like militant about it it's I think the, the mm. flexitarian, I think, is, is kind of the best. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You know, a little bit less is is yeah. better than none. Mm-hmm. I haven't bought an electric car yet, though, so I
1: yeah.
2: haven't uh-huh. quite. But I still drive my old 10-year-old cars, the same cars that we that I had back in Boston <laughs> oh, a
1: lifetime ago. <laughs> Me yeah. too, actually. My, my little white car I still have. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah. So,
0: like, Yeah, I wonder with cars like, you know, the new cars are maybe more energy efficient and all of that. But at the same time, it's like, it's also environmentally better to not buy new cars, mm-hmm. right? And keep the I, car that you I have. I actually so, think
2: about that a lot. I've yeah. never like tried to figure out how to do the math on that, but mm-hmm. I'm like, and, and I have small like fuel efficient cars and well, depending on the day, don't drive that much. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Some sometimes I've got three different meetings in different corners of Houston that I do end up driving a lot, but I'm not doing like a 40 mile commute mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, I, mm-hmm. I agree with that, Like like, drive these cars into the ground Mm
0: -hmm. i mean there's there's so many things that we can do in terms of like consumerism and just buying less right Mm -hmm. like not yeah oh i mean especially you know here in the us it's like oh we need a new this a new that and there's always a new iphone to buy but uh, some things it's easier for us to cut like meat maybe but what about like the daily decisions that we make Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah no my wife Mm -hmm. definitely wants a new car every five years and i'm like Next one's gonna be electric for her. But <laughs> <laughs> that will a stay. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. A, that's a personal like. Mm-hmm. This, the, that's just what what her buying cycle is. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at the clock a little bit. Um, when uh when we think about like what you guys are are, are doing to activate, and, and you think about like the global energy transition, do you think um like the the country has the technology it needs to meet its like climate goals? That's a, that's a big question
2: yeah that is a big question uh i mean i i think there are a lot more knowledgeable people than yeah. than me on that question uh i mean i i think you know the 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 way I view the climate problem mm-hmm. um is it's like there's a place for everybody and everything mm-hmm. like it's such a big problem um i mean if we just stopped de- developing new technology mm-hmm. today and just deployed at a massive scale all the technologies we already have could we solve the climate problem Uh, maybe Mm -hmm. but could we solve it better with technologies that are going to get developed over the next 10 20 30 years almost for sure yes Mm -hmm. so i think there's a place for for all of it and we need to deploy the stuff we have at a massive scale we need to develop new and better stuff Mm -hmm. um i don't know i guess there i mean there's a number of areas that don't have good solutions yet. yeah well share with us like what
1: where, where you're seeing the gaps
2: uh yeah i mean you know less so from specifically from just my work at activate because mm. i'm so new to it but just generally kind of trying to keep keep uh keep an eye on this so i was i was doing um some consulting work mm. um before activate for a company that was uh well, they were doing a number of different things but but i was working on um an industrial heat pump for them
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so really got a chance to do a deep dive on on more of the industrial decarbonization and industrial heat um and that's a that's a huge problem right so i think i think there's a lot of deployment challenges there there's a lot of technology like um so uh Gosh, I'm I'm going way deeper trying to remember numbers off the top of my head, but I want to say something like 20% of the world's emissions are related to industrial heat,
1: Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. heating
2: things Mm -hmm. up for some sort Mm -hmm. of industrial process. Mm -hmm. It's a a huge number. Um, And uh, it roughly, very, very roughly, like plus or minus 10% kind of numbers, Mm -hmm. roughly breaks down into about a third is like low temperature, less than 100 degrees C, Mm-hmm. About a third is like medium temperature, 100 to 500 degrees C. And about a third is like over 500 C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at that and and below 100 C, like there are commercial heat pumps today mm-hmm. that, you know, at scale with, you know, big name brand companies like, you know, Siemens or, or MAN or whoever mm-hmm. that make these things and are deploying them. To my knowledge very very minimal installations in the us a few in europe um but but that that's a deployment challenge can those heat pumps get better or more efficient i mean maybe a little bit um but they just need to be rolled out uh you know the 100 to 500 c is harder mm-hmm. at those temperatures you have to directly electrify the particular technology i was working on was a high temperature heat pump that could actually get up to four or five hundred mm-hmm. degrees c and so that's why i, I know these particular numbers because that was the pitch i was trying to give um but there's direct electrification right which is not the most efficient thing um but you can get temperatures that hot and much hotter so there are ways to electrify um i i think um the the thermal battery space mm-hmm. is is a really interesting space because um and there's a you know shout out to activate alamantora um mm-hmm. and electrified thermal solutions mm-hmm. uh both in that space along with companies like rondo that are mm-hmm. starting to do really well and starting to scale up and and deliver where they basically mm-hmm. you know this this idea of energy storage where you're taking electrons and storing it in whatever form if it's a battery if it's heat if it's you know water at some elevation or or water down in a hole in the case of quid company like quidnet, whoever, whatever, and then converting it back to electrons. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need to convert it back to electrons if you're just gonna use it as heat. And yeah. so this idea of take one of the one of the parts of that round trip efficiency off and just convert electrons to heat and then use it as heat makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you can get really, really cheap electrons off of, you know, solar and you can deploy these things off grid, uh, mm-hmm. so you can go, you know, build your build your new plant. You know, it, his, historically we've we saw so, so like industry popped up, you know, historically where there was energy, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why factories are along rivers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Both because they could, you know, mm. I mean, go way way back, right? The water wheel is cranking and mechanically running the machines in the factory, and then also a convenient place to dump their pollutants in the <laughs> river too, maybe. <laughs> Um, I thought you're gonna go with shipping, so you could ship another solution. Uh, well, we yeah, maybe okay. that too, yeah. <laughs> little, little, of all that. Uh, but so you know, you imagine factories of the future. They don't need to be there. They need to be where there's ample sun or ample mm-hmm. wind, mm-hmm. and and dealing with the intermittent stuff. Like store that as heat, and then use that heat over over the day, and then make new heat the next day. And mm-hmm. um, just it, you know, I think we'll start seeing an evolution and that kind of stuff. Uh is
1: it, can you educate me a little bit there so like the, the electrification is it both a combination that you can source the energy from like a renewable source like like solar and and wind and is the heat storage because you don't need the heat all the time and and it just takes a while to heat stuff up and cool it down
2: y- Yeah so 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 those guys those guys are uh they're using direct electrification so they're using resistance mm-hmm. heating so it's it's a toaster right, right. It's a big fancy toaster and really cheap simple storage material so they're storing heat in bricks mm. right or ceramic or they're they all have slightly different flavors of it and slightly different ways that they're generating the heat but it's all direct kind of direct electrification um so there are ways to get more efficient there right heat pumps um mm. but you can't get to the temperatures so these guys are storing heat at a 1, thousand fifteen hundred You know degrees c really high temperatures um and yeah i've I've, i think don't quote me on this uh but i think the way their math works out to make these make sense is you need really cheap electricity so you need the Mm. three cents three cents per kilowatt hour solar or whatever the number is Um, And when you have abundant cheap electricity, you make heat and then you've got that heat stored. You can be the the offtake
1: essentially for like cheap solar. Yeah, exactly. Or
2: like I say, or when you can't, you know, when there's however many Mm -hmm. huge amounts of of solar installations just waiting for for grid connection, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be connected to the Mm -hmm. grid. You can just build solar on site and directly use those electrons and turn it into heat. Uh, and then mm-hmm. heat up your process, make steam or mm. directly heat or w- whatever your process is. Um, there is there's an interesting company uh, that uh, that I saw that's that's trying to deploy um, boilers. Mm. So I think again, I'm trying to remember the numbers, about a third of industrial heat goes towards making steam mm. um and using steam for various processes, conveying the heat through steam. So electrifying boilers is and, mm. and you know, and electric boilers have been around for many many years but they're not terribly efficient so mm. making a heat pump version of that is is a big deal mm. interesting um, so that's all interesting yeah and agriculture is a big space that still has a lot of needs right cow farts or yeah. cow burps whatever they are or <laughs> i mean what wasn't it like a, a third of uh, uh, isn't a it a third method. a third a third of, yeah. of methane emissions are like transportation yeah. power and, and cows and cows or agriculture yeah. in yeah. general yeah. um so yeah. i don't know that space very well but uh to my knowledge we haven't figured out a way to
1: to bottle up cow farts yet so <laughs> you yeah. know this is why um, companies like tender foods are a uh, climate tech company cuz you're removing yeah. a cow right yeah
2: it makes yeah. a ton of sense um yeah. i don't personally don't think it's that hard to just stop eating beef but <laughs>
1: You know. <laughs> it's hard because they're tasty. Um, yeah. But anyhow, um, let's see. So I think um, as we're winding down, hmm. um, <laughs> sorry, there's a legacy question here. Yeah. What is the one thing uh, the audience could do to help you out? Hmm. Not that you've heard about uh, Activate and what you're trying to do. Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me that a month ago, mm-hmm. I would have said just get the word out, mm-hmm. just help mm-hmm. promote, activate as much as we can, you know, within Houston and broader Texas uh, t- to just find those, mm-hmm. you know, innovators, scientists toiling away in some sub-basement lab somewhere that, you know, don't come up for air very often. Like, we want to find those people who are coming up with those innovations um, and, and, you know, help them help them turn mm. that into real companies, real products uh, and commercialize that and have an impact. Um, you know, now that my applications are closed and I don't have to think about that again for for a year. <laughs> um, a lot of it is, is just, you know, hey, if if you are in a position to help mm. support uh, those types of fellows, those types of entrepreneurs, you know reach out I'm, I'm sort of a professional networker right now mm-hmm. just trying to build the ecosystem um and as much as possible the, the deeper my rolodex is of different mm-hmm. experts and people in various things whether it's you know investors or whether it's potential advisors industry experts tech, you know people who are knowledgeable in various technologies um the, the more that we have a network and, and activate has a a sort of national network and stuff, but obviously it's not as deep in Houston, and I'm trying to grow that so the the, the more opportunity we have to call the right person and connect the right person with our fellows, um, you know the the more we increase the chances for them to be successful
0: Good
1: um, and yeah. no, go ahead
0: no, and how can the people get in touch with you
2: uh i don't know I don't know if I want to <laughs> give out my Email address. You can find yeah. me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty pretty visible and on linkedin Activate has a
0: website they can visit. Activate.org. Right? Yeah, Org. yeah mm-hmm. lots
2: of information there. Um that yeah, to go check us out. But yeah, you can and you can find me and, and my LinkedIn. Interestingly, on on the team page on the Activate website, uh, the managing director section, my head is like three times bigger than everybody else. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> Jeremy, I got something to tell you in real life. <laughs> I mean, in real life, it's maybe one and a half times bigger. You don't have to like accentuate that. I don't know what to make of that. If I should be flattered or offended or or what, but yeah. So so go find the guy with the big head on the uh, on the managing director section of the website, and I think there's
1: a LinkedIn link there. Good. Well, thanks for being with us. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like the show, share it with a friend or give us a review on your podcast platform. Lastly, if you have an entrepreneur in Houston that you'd like to hear more about, let us know and we'll try to bring them in. See you next week on Energy Tech Startups.